Great. Nice and comfortable. Why don't you stand up? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your provision. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your peace. Thank you that we as a body can sing songs like we've just sung because it's all true. Our faith in you is based on your faithfulness over the generations. We can say you have never broken a promise. You have never let us down. You will never run out on us. But your love will go on and on and on. And your blessings, we're, we're going to enjoy your blessings for all eternity. Oh, you are so good. You are so good. I pray would you bless us right now as I speak and as we respond to you. I pray would you help us to respond in Jesus' name. Why don't you just quickly, just in your heart, just pray and just invite God to speak to you tonight. This is just going to be a half an hour opportunity for you to do some business with God. Just say, God, I want you to speak to me. Give me ears open to hear you. Give me a heart which is soft to receive what you want to say to me tonight. Lord, thank you that where your word is, there's life. Lord, thank you that where your word is, there's joy, everlasting. I pray tonight, would we be a joyful, celebratory people in your presence? I pray. I pray where there's things that are holding us back, things that are stopping us or distracting us from focusing on you, I pray, would you just remove them right now? I pray, would you just help us to just gaze our, fix our gaze on you? Just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. We believe in the universal presence of God, that God is everywhere, but sometimes I believe that the God of everywhere loves to show up somewhere. And that's what we're asking. We're saying, God, who is everywhere, we say, come show up somewhere. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit. We're desperate for you. We, we don't want to go home tonight without experiencing something of your presence in a tangible way through your word. We don't want it to be dead to us, but I pray that it would bring life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Why don't you take your seats? So my name is Alid. I'm one of the members here at King's and part of the leadership team. And we're going through a series called Acts of Courage. Uh, we've got some boards there which are full of post-it notes and growing, hopefully, Uh, Can I just encourage you, keep engaging with that. If you haven't written one, why don't you go along and have a look and just see what other people are doing in terms of acts of courage. Um, If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 6. We're actually looking at the end part of Acts chapter 6. The whole of Acts chapter 7 and the first part of Acts chapter 8 is massive. And don't worry, we're not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of uh, share general gist of what it is. And, And what I'm going to do tonight is slightly different to normal Um, in that I'm not going to kind of preach it exegetically. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go through verse by verse and explain what it is. I'm actually going to try and pick out uh, three things that I notice, uh, three differences that I notice between uh, Stephen, one of the apostles that we're looking at, uh, and also the Pharisees. Okay, So there's two camps of people in this passage. One of them is someone who accepts believes and receives the kingdom, the inheritance. And then you have a group, the Pharisees, who reject, deny and forfeit their inheritance that God won for them. Okay, So let's quickly look at Acts chapter 6, verses, well, let's go from verse 8. Okay, and we read from there. Bible will be handy. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it will come up behind me or on the screens on the side. Okay, 
And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they seized him and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place. They're talking about the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that the Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like a face of an angel. Wow. It's the presence of God on someone. His face is like the face of an angel. And then it's over to Stephen. Stephen then has this big speech. And what he does, he details for the Pharisees something of the promise of God, the inheritance of God, which God promises first to one man, Abraham. So Stephen talks about this guy, Abraham, who has a promise, a covenant from God, and that is passed down through the generations, and it grows to the, uh, the nation of Israel. So it goes from Abraham to Isaac, his son, to Jacob, to the 12 patriarchs of Israel. And you end up with these 12 tribes of Israel who are holding on to the promise of God, the covenant, the, uh, the covenant from God for them, that they will have life. And then what happens is that God dwells with the people. So he comes in the, in the tabernacle, God uh, descends on the tabernacle, and what they have, they have the Ark of the Covenant, and they have a tent. And inside the tent there's the Holy of Holies, and basically once in a year, the high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies. And what would happen is that all year round, God is with them. It's not that God is only there once in a year, but God said, I'm going to make that my people, and I'm going to dwell with them, and I'm going to lead them, and they're going to become my people. And then what happens if you look later on in in, uh, chapter 7? What happens then is that David, King David, so there's a number of judges and then there's a number of kings. And King David then establishes and continues with the the pattern of the tabernacle. And then his son Solomon builds a temple, a massive, great big temple. And God's presence comes and fills the temple. So here is the universal, the God who is everywhere is now dwelling somewhere. It's in the temple of God, okay? Right? In Solomon's temple. So let's pick it up from verse 48. I think it's on there. We'll see. Hopefully it is. Okay. So yet the Most High. So this is, so, but, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Wow. So God chooses to dwell with his people in the temple. where He says, look, never think that you are going to contain me to a building. Okay? God is not smaller than the building. God is so much bigger. But what he does is that he, he, he comes and he manifests his presence with the people in the temple. So basically, Stephen's done this journey and how he's basically saying the promise is now for everyone. And then he says this to the Pharisees. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, 
you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Wow. That's a rebuke, isn't it? Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we'll later find out is the Apostle Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. So this is Stephen in one camp. And we have the Pharisees in another camp. Two camps that are very passionate. Two camps that are either willing to die or to kill for what they believe in. And what Stephen is saying through that chapter 7 isn't, Pharisees, you don't have the promise, but I do. What he's saying is that the journey, God's promise, is actually now that the promise is for anyone, it's available for anyone, yet you are choosing not to accept it. You've got hard hearts and you've got closed hearts is. And what I want to do tonight, I just want to talk about three blockages that stopped them and could stop us from receiving the blessings of God. I'm not talking about you losing your salvation, but what I'm talking about, there are certain things that the Pharisees did and certain ways that the Pharisees behaved, which meant that they stopped entering into the promises of God. And those same things we can do and stop entering into the blessings of God in the here and now. You with me? Okay, first one. Identity versus significance. Identity versus significance. We, we've talked a lot about identity in the last, well, number of months. And um, with the Father Heart, who, did anyone come to the Father Heart Conference? Wasn't it such a great, impacting time? A couple of, I've just heard a couple of people say, you know, why is it that we just keep talking about identity? Why do we just keep talking about God as Father? He's so many other things. And he is. He absolutely is. But I think I'm just becoming increasingly aware of the importance of identity. Because I think one of the chief aims of the devil is to try and rob your identity. Because if he can prove to you, or if he can try and show you that you are not what God says you are, then actually he can just leave you to walk down a path of absolute destruction. And that's what happens with the Pharisees. The Pharisees believe a lie. The Pharisees are drawn into the lie of significance and importance being the most important thing. But Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Their focus is on what people think of them, what image they have, what power they hold, and what significance they have. 
And Stephen understands something about identity. And he says, you've got hard hearts and you don't listen to the Spirit. Can I just tell you, significance is based on what you do. Identity is based on who you are. There's lots of things that you can do that may change how significant you are to someone. I tell you, there's got to be something outside of you that changes your identity. All right? there's got some, something's got to happen other than me. I can't change who I am by just doing stuff. I might change how significant I might be to someone, but I can't change ultimately who I am. Whereas Stephen has been changed because he's put his faith in Christ and there has been a change in identity. And what I find is that this isn't just something for the head, but it's something for our hearts to grasp. It's so easy, like the Pharisees, to live here. They see their legs as just a mode of transport for their heads. But actually, Christianity and a relationship with God is also a heart issue. I'm not saying chuck out the head stuff. But I'm saying, ultimately, if all you do is live there and don't have a connection with your heart, then you're missing a major part of the gospel. Because Jesus, well, God the Father is looking for relationship. Okay? The very foundation of Christianity is based on who you are. We cannot teach it enough. It's about heart transformation, not just head knowledge. Galatians 3.26 says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Isn't that wonderful news? You're children of God. God says, I give you permission to call me Daddy. Abba Father. We heard it from Brian's contribution. We can call him Abba Father. It's so, so good. The other day, I can't remember what I did. I did something a little bit naughty. I think I burped or something in the kitchen. And, uh, and Lou said, oh, Alid. And my little girl, Bethan, she looked up and she was saying, Alid. She's only two. Oh, Alid. I just said, Daddy to you. She can call me lots of things, but she gets the privilege of calling me Daddy. No one in here does. And that's the privilege that we have as children of God. We can say, Daddy. Because not everyone else can. J.I. Packer, let me just quickly read this, this quote. I love this. J.I. Packer in Knowing Gods. It's just one sentence. He said, What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. Wow. What's a Christian? Well, I can answer it in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. We don't need education but encounter when it comes to fathers. I um I love my dad to bits. I'm talking about my my physical dad on her. I, I love him to bits. But I tell you what, you can feel it as a child if they're absent. I I know he's my dad. I know it. But there's something that a number of years of birthday cards and Christmas cards, which actually could be done in a two-minute conversation with him on the phone. Or there's something actually in an embrace, which actually the experience of dad teaches me more in that moment than all the different facts that I can have about him in my head. Does that make sense? Because there's something about an experience. And maybe because there are so many distant fathers in our generations, that might be something for us to, that is difficult for us to get our heads around. We can know the facts in our heads, but the practice 
is often a lot more distant. Identity in God means you don't have to reach a standard. And you know what? You don't have to have all the answers. I'm so pleased that I don't have to have all the answers. I just need to spend time with the one who is and does. I just need to spend and fix my time with the one who does know. And that's where my security comes from. If you focus on your significance, if you focus on the way that people view you, your acceptance will be based on others' approval. If your focus is on what God's acceptance is of you, then other people's rejection just won't affect you the same way. If God says, I choose you, in this situation when Stephen has a whole crowd that reject him and even take him out of the city, throw stones and rocks and murder him, his response isn't, oh my goodness, his response is, I'm accepted by the one that it matters. He's accepted by the one person that, is mat- that matters. Isaiah 49. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and he holds my reward. Wow. Give me the praise of men. You know what? You can keep it, because I'm running for an audience of one, and he holds my reward. Amen? So that's the first thing I notice is identity and significance. The Pharisees are so preoccupied with their significance and the way that people view them and what power they can have. Stephen, he's so released because he understands who he is, not what he can do. He's not limited by what he can do. He's unlimited because he knows that he's in God and God is all-powerful. Let me ask you a question. What is more important to you? Is it your significance or is it your identity? Just ask you that question. When the rubber hits the road, are you willing to step out in obedience to something God's asking you to do? Or are you going to bottle it because you're worried about what someone might say or think about you? I'm on a journey with this. There are different times where I just think, man, I just bottled it. This isn't just something that we arrive, but what I'm saying is that we've got to fight for identity, not fight for significance. That's the first thing I notice. The second thing, faith versus control. You see, if significance comes from what you do and the recognition you get, as soon as something challenges you or challenges that, you end up losing. Okay? You can lose. For Stephen, his significance came from his position in God, so therefore whatever was going to happen, he was going to be in a win-win situation. So the worst you can do is kill me. I still win. Do you get that? That, That's such a powerful position to be in when you can say, do your worst, because I know where my security comes from. The problem with significance and people's view is that as soon as Janair doesn't see highly of me, I've lost. Actually, my acceptance has gone down. Whereas actually when I put my focus on God and my identity... It's a win-win situation. Do you know, fear is based on things. Faith is based on a person. There's a big difference. Our faith in God is dependent on his faithfulness over the years. He has always, always, always proved faithful. Fear is always based on things. 
It might be things that people do to you. It might be things that people say about you. But actually, fear doesn't stem from the person. It's what they can do to you. Do you understand that? Even if you think about abusive situations and stuff like that, it's not that you fear just that person. It's the fact that you fear what it is that they do and what they mean for you. That's where fear is based. It's on things. Whereas faith is always based in a person. Faith in Jesus. Fear has no place in a Christian heart. Fear is an imposter for the Christian. It says, love casts out all fear. And fear is faith based in the wrong reality. All right? Let me explain that. There's two realities for Stephen. One is, I've got a load of people around me and they're stoning me and they're going to kill me. That's one reality. The second reality is, I know where I'm going and I know that God has got a supreme plan for me and I know that everything's going to be fine. That's, that's two realities. Both are true. Fear is faith based in one reality. Faith is birthed in place in your belief in the other reality and what Jesus has got planned for you. Which reality will you choose to believe? Romans 8.15 The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Let me ask you a question. What would your life look like if fear wasn't the barometer by which you based your decisions on? Let me ask that again. What would your life look like? What would your life look like if fear wasn't the barometer by which you based your decisions on? What you decided to do, where you decided to go, what you decided to say, if it wasn't based on a fear of what people might say, what people might do, I wonder how life would be different. Chris Valaton, a pastor at Bethel in the United States, says this, it's your stances, not your circumstances that shape you. Wow. It's your stances, not your circumstances that shape you. Where are you standing Where are you positioned? When significance and fear are the barometer of your life, as it was for the Pharisees, you want to take ever more control of what happens. There's something you notice about the Pharisees. They are very controlling. They want to control, control, control. Security in knowing God is in control, when you don't rely on God, you have to trust in your own abilities to control. Pharisees were fearful controllers. You see, we don't have to be controlling because we know that we've got a God who's in control. The problem when you don't have a God who's in control, you've got to try and control every situation. You've got to be on top of it all. And the problem with the Pharisees, we we see this story a number of of times. We see it when Jesus is before the high priest. We actually have it with Peter uh, and John, and then later in Peter and Acts, and then the disciples when they're arrested. We've heard through this series another three incidences where they're saying, stop preaching the gospel. The Pharisees are wanting control, control, control control if you're not careful God's plans can quickly become your plans and you can quickly forget about him altogether I can, I can partly sympathise with the Pharisees because they weren't all that wrong in some ways when you think about the temple and the presence of God what they're fighting for You could argue what they're fighting for is to protect the temple in the presence of God. 
The thing is, they, they had made what was God's promise, their promise. They forgot about God and they didn't even realize when he left the building. God had already gone. He'd already left the building and they hadn't even realized it. God isn't a God to be controlled. So when he does things out of the expected, when he breaks the mold, the Pharisees want to squash it, eradicate it, because it causes offense to what they believe. Do you know that we can get offended with God when he does things which aren't in our pattern and our way of thinking? God, I just wouldn't have done that that way. I don't think he deserved to get that blessing. And she definitely didn't deserve that pay rise. And we can become cynical in our hearts. Controlling. Faith is the opposite of control. Faith in God means I don't need to control the situations because I know that I believe in a God who is supremely in control of everything I come across. Two very different stances. And you know, it's easy to say, God, rule my life, but under my terms. Isn't it? It's very good to say, God, I want you on this journey with me, but I'd rather be the one in the driving seat. You happy there? You okay? Car seat? No, you're fine. And the reality is, is what God is calling you to do is to sit in the passenger seat and let him take, take you on a direction and take you in all the blessings of God. If, if God was to do everything the way that I would want him to, I'd be much worse off. Do you know that? I use this, this example on Saturday and this morning just about my little girl. When I have daddy-daughter days every Friday, I say to her, what are we going to do, Bethan? And every time she'll say one of three things. Every time, without fail, she'll say park, beach, or garden. Those are the three things she wants to do. Let's go to the beach, daddy. Garden. The problem is she doesn't know there's a Disneyland or a center parks. She, she, she has no concept of what other things that she could do. If God was to only bless me in the ways that I can comprehend, I would be much, much worse off. When I let God get in the driving seat, I find actually, man, I'm in a Disneyland. Which, if under my control, I just never would have got there. Does that make sense? So faith and control. That's the second thing. The last thing is this. Presence versus principles. I think there's something in this passage about presence and principles that we need to understand. I just, I was reading the story and I was just imagining... Um, you imagine the situation, you imagine someone, a bystander, coming along saying, so which one's Stephen then? You think, oh, he's the guy over there who's saying lots of wise words, miracles happen, he's got a face like an angel. Oh, that one over there, yeah, I see him. There is something which makes Stephen stand out from everyone else. That wasn't just what he knew. I don't, I don't think he was just naturally apt to just being really a wise guy. I think what happened is that he had the presence and the spirit of God with him. There is something about the presence of God. And you know, I'm all, I'm, I'm all for principles and I'm all for philosophy of ministry and all of that stuff. Right? We must protect theology and we must teach well. But listen, we should never do it at the expense of God's presence. We, ne- we should never do it at the expense of God's presence. What makes Stephen stand out is time with Jesus. It's time with Jesus. I can't explain it strongly enough. You've got to get time with Jesus. That's going to be the one thing. That's going to be one of the key ingredients. Yes, learn about God. Study the Bible. Listen to podcasts. Do all of those things. But you get one-to-one intimate time with Jesus, and that will change you in a way that 20 podcasts can't. It really will. 
presence of God. I don't know if you've watched the uh, program on TV, Long Lost Families, where you get someone who was fostered at a young age or adopted, and they, they just have a desire. They want to meet their biological mum or dad. They, it's been 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, been a long time. And there's something when they meet, if you watch it, I don't often get teary. Sometimes I get a little bit teary because I think there's something about them reading the letters that they get from one another. So basically they'll, they'll swap letters and maybe a photograph. And you just think, that's such a beautiful moment. But it's nothing in compared to them that first time when they're in each other's presence. When they embrace each other for the first time. And there's something in that moment which all of those previous letters just fails into insignificance. There's something about getting before God as daddy and spending time in his presence. Really important. And as I said, that what's scary is that the starting place for the Pharisees wasn't all that wrong. But the principles became more important than the presence. And they didn't realize that God had left the building. They're fighting for something that just isn't there anymore. In fact, they had God standing right in front of them and they were too blind to even see it and they rejected Jesus, even crucified him. Don't ever downplay the importance of encounter. In John 15 it says, Abide in me and that's where you'll see fruit. Abide in him. Do you know what? I find that abiding is an active thing. It's not just a passive thing. Wow, I just feel so much more in love with God right now. I tell you, sometimes, Lou sometimes claims for me that I'm sometimes a bit too passive. I just think that actually some, somehow, just if I'm sitting on the sofa with her, somehow we're growing in love. The reality is, is that love is an active thing. Relationships got to be an active thing. And maybe if you're here tonight and you're thinking, man, I don't think I've really grown in the last few years. Let me ask you a question. Have you been abiding in him? Have you been making it as an active choice to prioritize his presence above the principles and the serving and the church thing. Because church is great, but the church doesn't win you Jesus. Jesus has always got to be the priority, presence with him. And do you know that we are carriers now of the kingdom? I was going to finish on one thing about you being carriers of the kingdom. Because there's something about presence that the Pharisees just didn't have. There's something about that because they didn't hold the keys of the kingdom. Do you know what? If you are a Christian here tonight, you hold the keys of the kingdom in your hand. And I want you to know, because all the world will say that you're insignificant or that you're wrong, I want you to tell you, you are a big deal around here. So you can suck that in and say, you can say that again, Alid, you are a big deal around here. Do you know why? Because the minute you walk into a situation, you bring the kingdom of God there, and it wasn't there before. You might be here and you're in a non-Christian family situation. You're the only Christian there. You're a big deal. You're a big deal. Because the minute you get into that house, you bring the blessing of God in a situation that otherwise wouldn't be there. It's a big deal. You guys look like I've just given you a massive gas bill. 
it's a big deal. You are a big deal, right? You set a platform in your situations at work, Jade, that you allow the God of everywhere to turn up somewhere. You're a big deal in your workplace. Rose thinks so as well. Kate, when you're in school with your kids, you're a big deal. When you're with, I won't say crazy teachers, I just did, (laughs) and it's been recorded, brilliant. When you're with all those wonderful teachers that you talk about, listen, you're a big deal in that place because you bring the blessing of God in your classroom. Whatever you're doing, whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it be college, whether it be school, wherever you are, you are a big deal because you are now a kingdom carrier. The same kingdom, the same presence that was on Stephen when he stood up to the Pharisees is the same presence that is working in you day by day by day. You carry the kingdom wherever you are. You know, building church is great, but that's God's responsibility. Jesus will build his church. Do you know what our responsibility is? It's to carry the kingdom of God wherever you go. That's our responsibility. So let me just finish by asking you a question. When was the last time that you extended the kingdom in a dark place? When was the last time you stepped out in obedience and you changed a situation for good because you brought blessing where there was curse? You brought light where there was darkness. And hear me right. We're salt and we're light and wherever we go, we bring goodness. I'm not saying that. But I find so many times... I can, be in my, I can be in situations where I know I can make an active choice to step out in courage for the benefit of the gospel and I bottle it. Let me ask you, when was the last time you've been in a situation where it felt God say to you, step out and do it, and you've said, oh, I just don't think I can. When was the last time you extended the kingdom of God in dark place? Because that is what you're called to do. And you know what? It's not because you have to do it because it's just the things you do. It's because you get to do it now. It's because actually it's just part of who you are. I find sometimes I just hear, I listen to a lot of podcasts and different things from different places. Sometimes I hear a gospel which is about to do gospel. It's what you have to do gospel when actually what we should be preaching is a who you are gospel. If you recognize who you are, it will change the way you live. That's the reality of it. Why don't we stand? Let's have the band up. So let me finish by just asking you some questions. Identity versus significance. Do you know who you are in in God? Or are you focusing so much more on what people might say about you, what they might think about you, what kind of reputation you might have? Where is your identity? Do you know God as Father? Do you actually know him as Daddy? I I spoke to one dear guy who just said, I can't really call him Dad because it just seems so irreverent. Do you know what? God loves it when you call him Daddy. I, I really wouldn't want Bethan growing up saying, Mr. Cousins... I am Mr. Cousins, that's true. But she can call me Daddy, and I love it when she does. It's not irreverent. It's what we get to do. Second thing is faith and control. Do you feel that you're living in fear? 
do you find that a lot of the decisions that you make and the way you live your life, your barometer, if you like, on what you're making your decision based is based on fear? Because if it is, we want to pray for you because that is an imposter. Fear must leave. Because love casts out all fear. And the opposite to fear is faith. Do you have faith in God? Or have you just lost hope or just got disappointed? Have you got to a season in life where you're just like, I just don't know whether I can keep on going on trying to convince myself that this is true? In which case, I believe that actually what you need is not so much head knowledge. I believe you just need a heart connection with God tonight. We're just going to worship in a minute and we're going to do that. And the last thing is, have you been so preoccupied with the principles of building church, of doing your community group, of doing all the things that you know that you should do, and you've missed presence, you've missed Jesus? If so, can I just tell you, I, I believe it would be good for you to repent tonight. It would be good for you to say, God, I'm sorry that I've made your church more important than you. I'm sorry that I've made my reputation more important than you. Do you know what? Obscurity shouldn't bother you. Not being in the limelight shouldn't bother you. Ineffectiveness should it doesn't matter where God has put you, you're called to be effective in your place. And you're called to be fruitful. And you can do that where you are. Presence or principles. Let's just worship and then Steve and Seth, we're actually going to break bread in a minute as well. I think it would be good to that. We may just overrun by a few minutes, I hope that's okay. But we're going to have an opportunity to worship. We're going to break bread. And then we're going to be able to have an opportunity just to pray for one another. But if anything that I've said tonight has stirred something in you and said, man, I think I have got fear in my life. Or man, I just think oh, my priorities have been wrong here. Then we'd love to pray with you. Okay?